Welcome to That Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing through sharing to help you create a happier life. I'm Anita, your host, and this week we're going to take a deep dive into adolescent mental health. The number of suicides among children and teens increases every year, but no one seems to know why. From Florida to Ohio to right here in our own backyard, the D.C. metro area, children as young as eight are committing suicide. And I feel it's time we move this from being a private household problem to a community effort of prevention. I have in studio with me an associate professor in the psychiatry department at Georgetown University Medical Center. Dr. Breland Noble is a recognized expert in adolescent depression. She currently leads multiple research teams, including being the project director of the Acoma Project, the African-American Knowledge optimized for my, my for mindfully health mindfully healthy adolescents. Welcome Dr. Alfie to the thank show. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for coming down to the Adding the Live. My pleasure. First, let's find out a little bit about Dr. Alfie. Okay. Why did you go into mental health? So I grew up in an area that was not very racially diverse. Okay. Um, and it's probably about 20% African American, maybe 20, 25% Filipino and the rest of the community was not people of color. And I remember as a child encountering a lot of my friends um, of different races who struggled with things. And I don't think we had a label for it then. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't have a psychiatric illness label or a mental health label or a mental illness label to put on it. I just knew people were struggling. I happened to have two parents at home who were very loving, very supportive, and who were able to engage me. And I could talk to them, pretty, especially my mother, pretty much about anything. Wow. But I knew I had friends who couldn't do that yes. um, for various <laughs> reasons. And so I think that really was sort of the thing that sparked the interest. So by the time I got to college and decided what I was going to do for training and went through school, I have a godmother who is an early childhood development professor. Wow. Um, and she and I would talk a lot. And so I think she was the person who really helped me solidify this idea that I had this interest in helping people. Mm -hmm. I've always been a helper. And how I could turn that into a career. And that's how I decided to go into studying mental illness and really trying to be helpful and provide clinical care, particularly for teenagers, because I can remember what it's like to be a teenager. Those teen years, those years are rough on young people, especially now. So I think that was what did it for me. And you went to NYU? I did. I did. For? So I went to Howard for undergrad. I went to NYU for a master's. Notice, y'all, how I was trying to skip the HBC. <laughs> Virginia Howard. State in the house over here. <laughs> so I, I love all my H HBCUs. HU. Yes, HU, you know. Okay. So I went to HU for undergrad. I got a master's at um, NYU. I have a doctorate from Wisconsin, and I have a second master's from the medical school at Duke. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> a lot of work. A lot of work. Overqualified. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. So. Suicide among youth. Yes. How is it that we've even gotten to youth considering suicide an option? So I think, you know, I have a colleague, his name is Dr. Sean Joe. He's one of the leading suicidologists in the country for black people. He okay. really understands suicide in blacks. Um, and I give Dr. Joe credit where credit is due. He's at Washington University in St. Louis. I think what I've learned from him and from studying this issue, because I'm a depression researcher, and you know, among the causes or things that contribute to suicide, depression is at the top. There are other things that contribute to people um, deci not deciding, but um, going that route um, and contribute to suicidal ideation or mm. thoughts of suicide. But one of the leading is depression. Um, so I think our young people consider depression 
as an option, which I wouldn't want to label it as an option, but okay. I think it comes to mind often because our young people don't have coping skills to think of other ways to deal with what they're experiencing. Particularly for those of us, of us who are of color, mm -hmm. black folks, we don't really have a language that we use you know, in, in common parlance and in talking to each other to describe what's going on with us when we feel depressed. And so if the adults don't have a language, the kids and the teenagers don't have a language. And I think because they don't have a language, okay. I think they grasp for what feels quick. I don't even know if it's the easiest. It's just a, it feels like a quick solution. And I think for younger children, they don't even necessarily conceptualize that it's permanent. Right? I think they think, really? I do. I think that, I'm not saying that children are ignorant. I'm saying that developmentally, no. yes. it may not occur to them, like, if I do this, there is no coming back right. from this. And so I think it becomes a temporary solution to a treatable problem. Right, so if depression is the issue, depression is treatable. Because they only think about it up to it being an option. They don't think about anything that happens that's, after that's that. I could not have said it better. That's okay. exactly right. Because I remember 8 and 10 and 12, and I remember them as great years. Yeah. Being outside, playing. Yes. I never thought of suicide as... Are they more exposed to it now, or? Well, I would say that the, the levels of depression among young people, so when we look at the statistics, like the data shows about 10% of young people across the board, regardless of race, are experiencing symptoms associated with depression. Um, crying spells, change of eating habits, change of sleeping habits, hanging around different people, you know, they stop caring about things. I think what we don't necessarily know for our young people is what is it that pushes them to the point that they think well, if my life is over, I don't have to deal with this anymore. But I do think, as you said earlier, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking if I just am not here, I don't have to deal with this. So, and I hear that a lot from my patients, my young patients. I treat all ages, but primarily I treat teenagers and a little bit younger and tweens. And that's what you will hear them say. You know, if, Dr. Alfie, if I just wasn't here, I wouldn't have to feel this. So I think for them, I wouldn't say that TV gives them the idea, okay. but I would say that they're exposed to so much more that even, even before they're depressed, that the stuff is sort of already in their brain and sort of out there floating in the world. So that then becomes an option out of many options because they've seen lots of different things. And, the, and suicide becomes the thing that feels most immediate and sort of the most direct, this is the most direct path to ending my pain. Right, okay, but the path, depression is in that path. Yes. Well, what happens before depression? So lots of things. So depression has uh, hereditary components, right? We can okay. all, and I always encourage families when they come see me, let's talk about family history. Let, and invariably what comes up is grandma or grandpa or auntie or great aunt or somebody in that lineage struggled with depression. It's just that nobody labeled it depression. They say, yeah, well, you know, periodically she would just get blue and nobody knew what it was. Or sometimes there's this old movie, Soul Food, where they had the uncle and he was Girl, in the room with the movie. movie. But, well, okay, I'm sorry, I won't call it a movie. That's date myself. But you remember the oh, yes, uncle was in the mm -hmm. room, he would never come out. Yes. When I saw that, I was like, oh, he depressed. That's depression. That's what it looks like. That's how it manifests itself, but nobody had a label for it. That was just Uncle Joe, and you just leave Uncle Joe in the room. You don't bother how, Uncle that's Joe. That's how he is. Right, that's how he is. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think young people see, and they don't have a label for it because okay. we don't have a label for it because of the stigma that is associated with mental illness. So I think for our young people, it's these genetic components, the hereditary components. I think for a lot of young people, particularly and disproportionately young people of mm -hmm. color, mm -hmm. trauma. 
they're exposed to so many more things so much earlier. Yeah. And if the trauma doesn't heal, depression can set in. What are some examples of those traumas? So sexual abuse, physical abuse, mm -hmm. even if it's not that serious, having a parent who's deployed in the okay. military who yes. comes back, who has their own mental health problems and uh, they're withdrawn. PTSD so they be, that's right, they're the dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. They become withdrawn, they're withdrawn from the kids. It negatively impacts the ability to attach and be together so you don't have that warm parent because mom and dad is struggling. Divorce. Divorce okay. can impact the kids. So it, there are all these things um, that, you know, trauma is not just the extremes, right? The physical abuse, the sexual abuse. It's, there are many other things. It can be, for some of our young people, it can be a breakup with somebody that they love. Right, that they're mm -hmm. passionate about. They don't have a process for it. It can be pressure, like a lot of pressure from families. I tell parents all the time, you gotta back off these kids a little bit. So straight A's, if it's not straight A's, it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. I hear kids say that stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. I've had young people come in and talk to me about they want to major in, I don't know, art, but parents are demanding it be engineering. Yes. Or I had a young lady tell me a few weeks ago or a mentor tell me that one of her students came in and said, I got an A minus. I can't go home with that. Wow. Yes. Right? Straight A's, it needs to be solid A's. It can, a, a, straight A's or A pluses. A minus is not good enough. And this was a black family. They weren't African American, but it was a black family. And so those kinds of pressures, unchecked yes. and without the ability to cope, that's the kind of stuff that can lead to depression. If the depression goes on long enough, mm -hmm. I think a person sometimes can feel like my only way out is to just not be here anymore. Wow. What about the entertainment industry? Because we like to blame movies. Yeah. We like to blame TV. Yeah, reality TV, yeah. And we like to blame social media. Yes. Do they have viable parts? Yes, absolutely they have viable parts. Because I, I think what they introduce is a lot of information that our young people are unprepared to manage. So for example, I tell parents all the time, I think about my teenage patients, anybody under the age of 14, 15, mm -hmm. They don't need to be watching reality TV, right? And so um, around the kids that I treat, I treat mostly young people of color, all those reality shows, right? Especially the ones with the young women who are behaving in all kinds of horrible ways. So I won't name check any, but this is what the kids like to watch. My kids aren't allowed well, to watch any of that. Well, they're actually fighting. Yes, physically, pulling, yes. physically. Yes. And that then propels them, the worst of behavior, for some of our young ladies, that propels them to stardom, right? There's one that all the kids love right now. Yes. She's a superstar. And all she did on reality, reality TV literally was get into fist fights. And so it's being exposed to that, it desensitizes kids Very to it, so. right? Quickly. So they start thinking this is how you're supposed to behave. So when you're angry, you don't take a mm -hmm. step back and talk about it with the person. You don't walk away to cool off. You just Right, you ready to dukes up? That's it. Turn up. Luck if you buck. But you know, <laughs> back in the day, you know, so they're ready to do that. So I think there's a part, but I think parents and guardians and loved ones mm -hmm. and the adults in our young people's lives have a part to play too. Don't let them watch it. And if you feel compelled to, you watch it with them, so you can have a conversation about, well, she got angry at her. Why do you think she jumped on her like that? Or what would you do if you were in that situation to give them some skills to process? So of course it has a part to play, but I think there are ways to mediate that. We can help our young people process those things, but it starts with if they're younger, they don't need to be watching it at all. Because I made a remark one day at work that a lot of the pictures that are on social media now, if they were magazine covers, when I was growing up, they would have a brown wrapper. <laughs> 
Yes. They'd be on the top shelf. That's right. Where you couldn't get to. Right. Where you could barely see them. You could see the bottom corner. Yes. And they would have a brown wrapper. True. Where True. those that were too young were True. believed they couldn't reach it. Yes. And they didn't have access to the images. Yes. But magazine covers today, when you walk through the grocery store, yes. children have no place to be no. children anymore. No, they don't. I, I think so. And I think part that, that's a big part of the problem is that they're exposed to too much too early. But I also think part of the problem is, is that if it's there, we can't necessarily shield them from it, but we can teach them how to process. And I think that's a part of it is that we don't teach our young people how to process. We've internalized, many of us as adults, <laughs> young adults, middle-aged adults, older adults, we've internalized some of that. And so we don't give our young people a language and we don't say, that's not okay, right? And I think that's the part of the problem. Mm -hmm. We don't talk to them to help them manage it. Talk to them to help them manage it. I know some adults that don't talk to each <laughs> other to manage issues. Man, don't move. We'll be right back to talk about coping skills and how to help young adults manage pressure. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if, with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. And we're back with Dr. Alfie talking about adolescent mental health, getting into pressures. Yes. What pressure? Let's talk about it in the mm -hmm. age groups, mm -hmm. okay? Let's do children, say 12 and under, mm -hmm. and then that teenage, mm -hmm. and then college, and maybe yeah. just out of college. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, I, I love the concept of breaking it up like that. I think for the younger ones, a lot of it has to do with friendships. Um, it's who's being nice to me today, who's not being nice to me today. Um, little girls can be mean. They wow. can be vicious, okay. um, even in elementary school. So I can remember in our family, family members who remain nameless, struggling with bullying in preschool. Whoa. And yes, um, and really having to help the family and parents work through how to help that child manage bullying and learning, teaching the child how to stand up for him or herself. Mm -hmm. um, so at that age, I think it really is a lot to do with peers because if they're not, you know, unless they're at home with mom or dad all day, mm -hmm. if they're in any kind of school situation, whether it's, you know, daycare, preschool or whatever, um, going into elementary school, then a lot of what they're encountering is peers. This is pressure from peers. So of course, all of this across the age groups, we're just gonna put on the shelf um, some of the things that we know can be pressure. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, those kinds of things. I think those Given. go yes. without saying. Mm -hmm. um, I think once you move into um, preteen, uh, sort of 11 to 13 year olds, um, the friendships piece becomes even more prominent, right? So that's really who they want to engage. That's really where they derive their sense of self-worth from. That's really who they want to impress. And so at that age, the pressures 
are still around friends, but it's more intensified um, because they have other mechanisms at this age. You know, forget elementary school. By the time they hit that age, they're social media, right? So you have 11 and 12 and 13 year olds with iPhones or whatever the other, the equivalent Android right. phones, whatever Android, they are, Samsung, any kind of phone. It is. Um, and they can be mean on social media. So you get into that as early as late elementary, early junior high, middle school, right? So those are some of the pressures. When you get a little older, you talk about teenagers, sort of 12 to say 18, end of middle school, going into high school and through high school, there are, is a whole new set of pressures, right? So there's academic pressures. Okay. There are pressures around fitting in. There are pressures around sexuality, trying to figure out what is that for me. So for our LGBTQ young people, that's around the time it starts to emerge. Now they already knew, but this is when it starts, there's the possibility for it to become public. Like, okay. should I say something? Should I not say anything? What are people gonna think? Um, there's also bullying. Girls are much more relational aggression. So it's social media posts, talking about you behind your back turning people against each other, that kind of thing. And for the boys, it's sometimes it's a some relational, it's much more physical. Who am I going to leave out of the basketball game or the football game, right? Who am I going to not invite to the party okay. or to come swim with us or whatever it is? Um, and then I think there's issues that peers have with each other. So that's when you get into intimate partner violence. In, mid in high school, right? So late, middle, early high school, you have kids with physical abuse going on or emotional abuse between kids, learned behavior, right? So they're practicing okay. some of what they've seen. Um, then once you get out of high school and get into college, I work with a group called the Healthy Minds Network and we've looked at some data, um, all kinds of pressure. So these young people are dealing with making life choices about what kind of career am I gonna pick? I shared you know, before about um, grades, okay. what kind of grades am I getting those academic pressures? Um, as well as um, peer relationships, again, still. But there's also all these things about race and culture that maybe many of our young people have not dealt with fully that really start to emerge in college. Mm. All the black kids sit together at one table, mm. all the white kids, all the Asian kids, right? And what if you're multiracial? How do you deal with that? So there are those kinds of pressures. And then what happens to me if I'm not doing well in school? What kind of job am I gonna get? Job prospects. So as you're leaving college and emerging into young adulthood, there mm -hmm. are the pressures around uh, becoming an adult. What does it mean to be a real adult? For some of our young people nowadays, they have to move back home. Right? That feels like a failure. Yes. I'm not able to go out and be on my own. I'm not able to take care of myself. Um, those are pressures. And then there's sort of these dating and mating pressures. When you get out of college, everybody has this fantasy. I don't know where they get it from that one or two years out of college, you're supposed to be married right, and start having children. That's not everybody's path. That's not most people's path. <laughs> so there are those kinds of issues around relationships. So okay. there are lots of pressures. Many are a thread throughout, right? Academic, I think, is a thread. Peer relationships, those are a thread. For later uh, adolescents going into young adulthood, those relationship pressures are a thread. Um, and then for everybody, there's the family issues, right? Am I living up to my family standards? Yeah. Um, for those with mental health issues where they're open about it, am I gonna have the same kind of mental health problems my parents had okay. or my aunties and mm -hmm. uncles mm -hmm. had? So those are some of the things that our young people are struggling with from childhood all the way through early adulthood. Why did they take it so seriously? Because I can remember not just when I was a teen mm -hmm. or when I was an undergrad, mm -hmm. but also post-undergrad when I did juvenile work. Mm -hmm. the, the conversation of the day was a joke. Mm -hmm. It was to have fun, mm -hmm. was the order of the day. Mm -hmm. But these kids today seem, I mean, at 15, mm -hmm. they're working full-time jobs, mm -hmm. going to school full-time, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and stressed about whether or not they'll be able to 
go to a good college or mm -hmm. get a job mm -hmm. when they get out. Mm -hmm. Where did that pressure flush in from? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our families, right? And mm -hmm. so every generation wants the next generation to do better than they did. But now you have so much access. I feel like it's an overflowing cup and not in a good way, right? We pour so much more into young people these days. We don't give them an outlet for it, right? So it's okay. like that, it's like you keep pouring, it starts spilling over, but the person is still pouring. So all the things that you mentioned, mm -hmm. I think they're so right on point and I think they're so interesting and they intrigue me because it's true, right? We want kids that everybody needs to go to Harvard. Right? Or everybody needs to go to the, I won't pick one, the HBCU right, that right. mom and dad went to, or you know, or grandma went to, or uncle was the president of. You need to go there. Like, no other place is good enough. And or, then once you get there, you must make lines. That's it. You got and it has to be the right fraternity or sorority, right? right? You can't just be in any old, right? You need right. to be in this one. Right. Um, or, the family legacy. That's it, the family legacy. Or even to the point, I can remember kids, young people I went to undergrad with where they came to Howard expressly to pledge Alpha Chapter of that organization because that's what mom and dad did. Do you know what I mean? So those are the kinds of pressures that our young people are dealing with. And I think it's so serious for them because I don't know if it's more serious. I think there's more opportunities for discussion because you do have social media. Right, and so there's more opportunities okay. for the conversation okay. to happen because what are the kids doing? They're tweeting, they're posting on Instagram, they're, they're not on Facebook, that's what they tell me. Snapchat, right? So you have all these places where okay. you can express what your pressures are. So I think the pressures are a little bit more because there's more, they're exposed to more, right? And I then can, as you said, we share. That's it, we share stress. too much. We share it. Yeah. So for our young people, those are this is what they're struggling with. They because they have social media, they get a lot more access to information. They have no mechanism for processing information that they shouldn't have because they're getting it at earlier and earlier ages. <laughs> right, right. And we're sharing stress. So it's all of those things. That's why it's so serious for them. Okay. So now tell me, let's talk about prevention. Yes. And let's look at it from two prongs. Okay. Let's look at it from the actual person. Okay. And and what red flags they should seeing themselves mm -hmm. to make them take the next step as to getting to someone to talk to mm -hmm. and then as a community mm -hmm. because recently the turban story that mm -hmm. broke in california mm -hmm. the 13 kids mm -hmm. and the neighbors said that they were none the wise that mm -hmm. the children were being held mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the home mm -hmm. being tortured mm -hmm. yes tortured mm -hmm. chained to their beds mm -hmm. you can take a shower only once a year mm -hmm. not feeding them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so from the personal perspective mm -hmm. What responsibilities does a person have in the prevention? Mm -hmm. So because we're talking about children and adolescents, I'll talk a little bit about what kids can do, mm -hmm. teenagers, and I'm going to talk about what the adults in their lives can do. What everybody can do, and I'm going to focus it, I'm going to try to be focused on the question that you asked me, is know what your baseline is. I tell everybody that everywhere I go. And what do I mean when I say that? Well, baseline is if I'm still and quiet and I'm having an okay day, how does that feel physically, right? Mm -hmm. What's going on inside me? What am I thinking about? Once you can establish your baseline, you can sort of figure out the range up and down of what's really good for you and what feels really bad for you. And if you're starting to feel really bad, that's when you know it's time to go reach out to some trusted adult, not just any old adult, yeah. a trusted adult to get help. That's what a young person can do is know their baseline, right? But you got to be still which is hard for young people. so Because there's no place to be still. There's no days. place to be still. So I tell people, if you have to go in the bathroom, close the door, turn the water on, so people think you're like doing something, mm -hmm. and you sit there for mm -hmm. 15 or 
five minutes, do it. If you can only sit for a minute in the bathroom before somebody's banging and wants to come in, do that. But our young people have no place to be still, as you said, and they have nobody encouraging them to ask them to do it. So that's from an individual level. Yes, so from a community perspective, I think what we can do is we can become more aware. So shows like this, vitally important to give people a space to talk. That's one. The second is parents need to become knowledgeable about what these issues are. What are the signs and symptoms of depression? What are the signs and symptoms of anxiety? Those are the two biggest issues that our young people deal with. About a quarter of young people, regardless of race, are dealing with some form of anxiety in the United States. And as I said earlier, about 10%, regardless of race, mm-hmm. um, are dealing with depression. What does depression look like in a teenager, right? If they go in a room and close the door, is that typical teenage behavior or is my child depressed, right? So it's becoming aware. Again, it's not to call people ignorant. It is to say that we don't pay attention to these things. And so if we don't pay attention, we don't know when to go get help. And I think the biggest thing is we have to reduce stigma as a community. We have to stop telling people that just suck it up and get over it. Just stop saying that. We have to stop saying to teenagers, what you got oh, to be worried time about? Time heals all wounds. That's it. Time heals all. Just, Girl, just it'll let pass. time pass. That's it'll it. pass. Stop telling kids that. Yeah. And stop telling kids what you got to be worried about. You don't pay no bills. You don't wash no clothes. Yeah. You don't even clean up your room. All what you, you got to do be is go to school about? and make good grades. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So we have yeah. to stop doing those kinds of things. And the stigma piece is huge. We have to stop saying people are crazy. We, we just, that's a bad word in our house, unless we're joking around and Unfortunately, talking. Unfortunately. That's it. Because it's a word that I use, I used to use very often. Yes. Because I liked, my personality yes. is is very sarcastic and funny. Yes. So people would often say, you need to use so crazy. But I think that's okay. And I was cool with yes. it. Yes. Now. Yes. You might say, we could be girls right. and working together. Right. Right. And you say, girl, need to use so crazy. Right. But then two cubes over, somebody's going, mm-mm, Nita's got a problem. Right. The term these days yes. is, and nobody wants to dig in long enough to pay attention. Right. They only want to be fearful, Right. which, right. Is, which is harmful. Right, I agree. And I think the other thing about the, you know, going back to the example you gave, the analogy of somebody hears it and they think, mm, I don't know. The other thing is that somebody who's struggling with something, who knows something's not right, internalizes that and is thinking, oh. I better are, not are say they, anything. Are they saying this about me or, you know what I mean? And so I think, in the sense of like wild behavior, right? You're having fun or like you said, like you're joking around. I don't necessarily know that that's problematic, but when we use it to negatively stigmatize and label people, the person who's standing on the corner, right? We know in in this area, we have people on different corners who do that. We don't call those people crazy, right? I tell my kids that person is probably struggling with a mental illness, right? So So the one final thing is when we use the labels, we label behavior, we don't label people. So we say someone has a mental illness. We don't say that person is mentally ill. Mm, We say that someone died by suicide. We try not to say, I learned this from a girlfriend who had a son die by suicide. She's a really close girlfriend and he was 15 when he died by suicide. But I tell people, he died by suicide. We don't say he committed. He didn't want to do that. He died by, that was the way, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. language is so powerful and so important so i think those are some of the things we can do as a community to help destigmatize the illness and to encourage people to want to come on the show and talk about what's going on with them like this or to want to go get help from a mental health professional so those are some of the things i would say the other thing is we need to now we need to again know our neighbors yes yes because yes. we yes nobody knows who lives next to them anymore no. No. so don't wait for the holidays yes just stop by yes. a, a 
Seven Eleven, yes. stop by a store, yes. pick up about ten postcards, yes. and just mail them oh, to all wonderful. the houses up and down your that's street. That's a lovely idea. Hi, my name is Anita. Yes. I'm your neighbor that lives in so and so. This yes. is my regular schedule. Yes. Yes. Here, if you need me. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or even go outside when you see your neighbor outside going in. You know, make it a, a on-purpose accident. Right to run into the person. If they're outside getting their mail out of the mailbox, you come outside and get, hey, how you doing? Hey, Miss Say. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Just so that people are aware. So I think the more we can do that, you do create more of a sense of community. Because as you said, when we migrate and we move away from our loved mm -hmm. ones, it's important to create what we call fictive kin, right? They may not be related by blood, but we want them to be kin because we share a community. So I think your ideas are wonderful. Yeah. If the pressure in your life is becoming overwhelming, reach out for help. I cannot employ to you more. Reach out for help. We have all been there and had to learn how to manage and cope with life. It's okay that you're going through it. We will help you live through it. Whether it's fear, anxiety, low self-esteem, or even suicidal thoughts. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. You can reach out to Dr. Alfie. She's on Twitter, at Dr. Alfie. We're here for you because I know sometimes we don't want to be fixed, we just want to be heard. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode.